Bon dia, Dumelang, Shalom. Yeah, I need, I need the deaf community to look at me when I do this one. Thank you. Goeiemora, <laughs> that one was for Johan. He didn't hear the last time I said it, and I got in trouble for not saying Goeiemora. But now I just said it Goeiemora, so I don't know what's worse. Goeiemora. <laughs> That's much better. All right, I have a hundred rand note here, and, and I would like to know if anyone wants it. No, no, no. You being, you being too forthcoming, Janice. Anyone else? She's one of our elders. I can't give it to her. Okay? Okay? Are you sure you want this? Positive. Okay, what about if I do this? Fine. Still wanted. What about this? You still wanted? I think that was worse for me than her. <laughs> still wanted. All right, the bad news is that you're not going to get it. It's just an illustration. Um, but, I mean, why do you want that money? It's because regardless of what happens to it, it's still 100 rand, right? If it was torn in half, it's still 100 rand. It has the same value. The money people decided that the blue one is worth 100 rand, and that's the end of the story. And... Um, We've been speaking in the series recently about um, how people have inherent value. The, the one who made them, so God, decided that everyone has value. Everyone has equal value because they are made in the image of God. And nothing changes that, regardless of what happens to the person. And so our series is called Saubona, I See You. And I just wanted to ask ourselves the question this morning, do we see people, all people, in the light that they have inherent value because God just decided what they were worth? Do we love people in that same light? And I would like to guess that maybe we don't manage to do that with all people equally. And so we want to ask the question this morning, how do you love like Jesus? How do we love like Jesus. We, uh, this morning, are going to take a look through the book of James. It's a book that was um, written about true faith. And um, probably the best uh, summary of the whole book is found in chapter 2, verse 17, that says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's an incredibly practical book. And that's what we're going to be looking at it this morning in the sermon, because we've heard a lot about relationships and prejudice and seeing people and why that is important to God to get prejudice out of our lives. But there's a lot of people saying, okay, I get it, but what can I do? What can I do? And so hopefully James is going to help us this morning to answer that question. Um, the first thing in the book of James that, uh, that James kind of speaks about are, are trials, so he says, uh, consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Um, and you know what? Many people have found this series quite difficult. I think particularly people who have done it in life groups as well. I would actually hazard a guess that most people have found this series quite difficult. I think it is, it's difficult to allow God to search your heart, especially when he finds some quite grotty stuff inside my heart. 
It's a difficult process. I mean, even just the whole thing that, that, you know, prejudice doesn't mean that we agree with everything that other people believe or how they live or whatever. It doesn't mean that. But how do you balance being faithful to the truth of God's word, but also faithful to the way Jesus loves people? Like, it's hard to kind of balance that sometimes. And so it's a very, it's been a, a, quite a difficult series um, for a lot of people. James tells us to consider it all joy because the testing of your faith creates a perseverance in us. And he carries on to say in in chapter 1 verse 4, perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking in anything. It's not a waste of time. It will make you stronger. That, that word testing of your faith is the same word that was used when a silversmith tested silver. And the, what they would do is they would heat the silver in this big pot over a fire and all the impurities kind of come to the surface. And then the silversmith would scrape those impurities off the top and then repeat the process, make it really hot and all the impurities come up to the surface and, surface and scrape it off the top. And he would continue that process until he could see his own face in the pot of silver. That's what testing, that same word for testing our faith, that's what he was speaking about. And so we remind ourselves this morning of what we do when we're here, not just for this series, but what we do when we come to church. We're allowing God to test our faith. We're allowing God to purify us so that we can look like Jesus, until we look like Jesus. So that we can become mature and complete. What beautiful words. Mature and complete, not lacking in anything in our faith. So we can be more like Jesus. So whatever trials, if this has been hard for you or bad for you, it doesn't automatically mean that it was, that it was bad. You know, it might have been difficult. It doesn't mean it's bad. It produces character. And persevere. I want to encourage you to persevere until the testing of our faith is complete, even just in, in this realm. So how do we live like Jesus? I want to introduce you to James. This is James on the screen who's going to um, be helping teach us. He's very cute, don't you think? Um, and he's going to be teaching us. This is just a little reminder to help you kind of get a visual of what we're talking about because we're going to be speaking about loving like Jesus. And I want to say, firstly, that we need to love with the ears of Christ. A bit of a weird statement, but love with the ears of Christ. James chapter 1 verse 19 to 20 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It's quite an important message for today's age, right? Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to write something profound and important on Facebook. If someone else writes something a little bit silly in your opinion. Everyone wants to comment on that. Everyone wants to kind of get in on the action. Um, But quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, to take things in and to seek first to understand and then to be understood, as Stephen Covey says in his Laws of Leadership. Take things in to be slow to anger. And that's what James is telling us to do. And I want to encourage us this morning to listen in two zones. So firstly, to listen to people's stories. Everyone has a story. And often we don't listen. I think maybe because our stories are kind of all-consuming sometimes. Maybe our stories feel more important to us. They definitely, the issues in our stories are more pressing, definitely. 
Or sometimes when we do listen, we kind of listen with an agenda or a filter. We're kind of just waiting for them to say something that proves what we already think about them. Or we're just waiting our turn to speak and give our opinion or our story. But listen to people's stories. How much more would we be able to love people if we understood their story? If we look at the life of Jesus, often, actually the majority of Jesus' teachings came after he had listened to somebody's question or somebody's encounter that he was kind of watching or somebody's request. And he seemed to manage to hear the words that they actually said, but also the words that they didn't verbalize. We must listen to others in the same way that we yearn to be listened to. So listen to people's stories. Secondly, I want to say listen to what people are saying around you. Listen to what people are saying around you. You know, one of the things about prejudice is it, is it spreads quite often. You know, someone says something that's a bit stereotypical. No one says anything to that person. And so it carries on and it gets bigger. And someone else kind of now owns that prejudice as well. And it carries on and it grows and grows and grows. Unless someone's willing to say something. So one way to break, to combat prejudices is to disagree with people when they say something around you. But we need to be quick to listen. Try to understand that person as well. Because sometimes we just, you know, those of us who are angry with them just shout at them and we're not slow to anger. You know, sometimes when um, when we think about what we say and we gently and humbly confront someone, sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes it breaks prejudices. Sometimes it doesn't go well at all. But I still feel like it's our responsibility to do that. You know, we, you're talking about my family here, guys. If we believe what we've been saying, this is my brother or sister that you're talking about. I, I can't just let you say that thing because you're speaking about people that I love, people that are made in the image of God, people who have the same inherent value as I do. That's my brother or sister. And so maybe we need to gently and humbly speak out to people. Kind of not on my watch. When I'm around, you're not going to be able to say rude and demeaning things about my brothers and sisters. Not on my watch. Maybe that's kind of a mantra we can make for ourselves. Not on my watch. So listen with the ears of Christ. Secondly, we need to love with the hands and feet of Christ. So James chapter 1, he carries on and he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We have to move from hearing to doing. He says, do what it says. If we just stop here, James, he says quite a hectic thing. He says, if you just hear the word and don't do anything about it, you're deceiving yourself. I think there's lots of churches around the world probably that are full of people hearing the word of God but not doing anything about it, not putting it into practice, not allowing it to change the way that you live. This applies to every teaching that comes. Put it into practice. And he says, if you're not, you're deceiving yourselves. Now, I'm sure that Satan, who is the great deceiver, must love this because we're doing his job for him. If we sit and we listen, but don't 
do anything. We are deceiving ourselves. We are deceiving ourselves. So think about it. Why do you look in a mirror? So James Lacken's person who listens to the word but doesn't do anything about it, so a person who looks in a mirror but forgets what he looks like. Why do you look in a mirror? If you think about it, it's to make adjustments, sometimes minor and sometimes pretty major. Now, when you look in the mirror and you think, yo, that's not great, we need to do something about that, but it's to make adjustments, it's to make changes. I wouldn't look in the mirror and notice a gigantic piece of spinach in my front tooth here and just walk away happily. I would first replay the last 25 minutes, be mortified by who possibly saw me with the spinach in my mouth, and then I would remove it, rinse, remove it, make sure there was nothing else there. I would do something about it, right? And God's word is like a mirror. It shows us ourselves in light of who Jesus is and who Jesus has made us. It shows us ways to become more like Jesus. And if we do nothing about it, we are deceiving ourselves. James is saying, stop talking so much. Do what it says. And in this, in this context, we've been speak, we've heard a lot around this topic of prejudice. Do what it says. Do what it says. And again, two ways that we can do. I want to say we can love with the hands of Jesus by embracing people. Laura, um, a part that we didn't see in that video, but she spoke about becoming an advocate for and an ally to people who are different to you. What a beautiful phrase. An advocate and an ally for people around you that are different to you. See, I think the thing is when we really hear people, so if we're listening to people's stories, if we really hear people, often the natural next step is that we're moved to act. We're moved towards acts of kindness. It's just a natural progression very often. And I think in this, we need to look at how Jesus treats me, how he embraces me, and that needs to be the template for how I treat other people with acts of compassion and kindness and mercy. So embrace people. Secondly, the feet of Jesus. How can we love people with the feet of Jesus? I want to say we can walk with him. The last bunch of weeks, and even right back to Transformation Day at the beginning of the year, we've been speaking about developing a transformational relationship with someone different to you. And if you haven't been around and that's the first time you've heard it, transformational relationship, we mean that you and the other person are both transformed. And with someone different to you, someone who's from a different religion or a different race or a different generation, a different sexual orientation, a different um, class group, somebody who's different to you and develop a real, genuine friendship. I've been reading quite a lot about, um, you know, prejudice and whatever, and there's a lot that psychologists say about this. And I read this one thing that said, if you looked and looked at all the solutions proposed by scientists over the years to combat prejudice and racism, you would be hard-pressed to find a more effective antidote than intergroup friendship. Intergroup friendship, friendship with somebody who's different to you. They use phrases like increasing social connection, to reduce your bias. Pretty much they're just saying in a really fancy way, have a transformational friendship with someone who's different to you. There's a a famous psychologist called Gordon Allport. He did a massive study on prejudice and hate in the 1900s, and he spoke about contact hypothesis. So when you have contact with people, it naturally reduces prejudice. 
they're all saying the same thing. But I read one other thing that's so, so interesting. They said that cross-group friendship, so you know what I mean by cross-group friendship, friendship with somebody who's different to you, cross-group friendship is so powerful, in fact, that it's contagious. So they're saying that if I have a friend who has a friend who's different to them, so if I just, I'm over here by myself, I don't have any transformational relationships with people different to me, but my friend over there does, and I get to know about that friendship, I am likely to become less prejudiced. How interesting is that? Imagine if we actually started doing something. How many people would be affected by it? How much prejudice would be reduced in our society? But we have to do it, not just hear it. And so we can love with the hands and feet of Christ. Thirdly, we can love with the eyes of Christ. James continues in chapter 2. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. I think we would love to think that we don't show favoritism. I would hazard a guess again. I hazard a lot of guesses from up here, but that we all do show favoritism in some realm. You know, it's so interesting how James phrases this. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. I wonder why he said it like that. Perhaps what he's trying to emphasize is that the only distinction that there should be is God our glorious Lord Jesus Christ and man. God and man, only distinction. There's no distinction between man. This one's better, this one's different. The only distinction is between God and man. I think that's possibly why he did that. He ends this passage by saying, if you show favoritism, you sin. It's just pretty straightforward. It's a matter of fact. This isn't a matter of preference. It's a big deal. Don't show favoritism. That's what he's saying. Don't show favoritism. Love everyone equally because they all have equal value in the eyes of God. Rather, let's use our eyes to see people the way that Jesus sees them. We've spoken about this quite a lot with the series being called Salborna, which is translated, I see you. But if we live a life that reflects the gospel, again, we live a life where we see people as Jesus saw me, someone that he came to, even though we have nothing in common, he would normally never be able to associate me because of my sinful, with me because of my sinfulness. I have nothing to offer him, and yet he came to me and he loved me like crazy. Should we not see people in that same light? And even if they've got nothing to offer us, and even if they're people we would never normally associate, we go to them and we love them like crazy. That's living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus did for me. And so we need to see people 
as Jesus sees them, not as the culture judges them to be or kind of as we've already predetermined that they are, but see them. You know, people felt seen by Jesus. People felt understood by Jesus. You think of the grieving widow. You think of lepers that were all around him. You think of his friends and disciples. They felt seen by Jesus. And, you know, when was the last time that we really tried to look at someone with the eyes of God? Openly, without judgment, without expectation. When was the last time that someone really felt seen by you? I want you to imagine who might people become if every Christian they encountered beheld them with eyes of love. Who might people become if every Christian that people encountered beheld them with eyes of love? Next, I want to encourage us to love with the mouth of Jesus. How do we speak to people? How do we speak about people? James continues in chapter 3, and he says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. I mean, we would never do that, though. Hey? We wouldn't worship here together and then drive out and get cut off by someone and be like, stupid woman driver. We never do that, eh? and then drive to the robots and launch into a speech about how these useless people should just get a job. We would never do that, right? My brothers and sisters, James is saying, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear frigs? You see, fig trees can't produce olives. If olives keep coming off the tree, it's an olive tree, right? It's quite a logical thing. The Bible tells us in Luke 6.45 that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if all that comes out of our mouths is cursing and slander and negativity, we have to start asking ourselves, am I really a new creation? Something must be wrong if both of these things, praise and cursing, are coming out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And so again, two things. How do we speak to people? Seems like a bit of an obvious one. You know, we should speak to people with respect and with love. It's almost too obvious. But sometimes we still don't get it. We need to watch our tongues. The tongue is a fire. It has the potential to build up or to completely destroy? How do we speak to people? James again says in chapter 4, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And so we need to stop allowing careless words to come out of our mouths. We need to choose to speak with care. Again, to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And speak with care. Speak words that build up rather than words that destroy. That's how we speak to people. How do we speak about people? 
humans are very good at putting people into an us and them category, right? That's, that's them, this is, this is us. You know, Jesus didn't seem to do that at all. As I look through scripture and I think of all the stories and his encounters with different people, he never seemed to do that. He seemed to keep on trying to bring people in to us. You know, even when his disciples said, no, 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 those are them. No, 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 come be a part of me. Come be a part of us. He brought them in to us. And so I think that we need to start to redefine how we view us and them. Again, research shows that when, when you're able to try and recategorize people, so people that used to be in the them category, whoever they, them are for you, when you try to find a commonality and you're able to recategorize them according to some way, something that you've got in common with them, it is possible to move them in our minds into the us and therefore obviously reduce prejudice because we're not prejudiced against us. We're only prejudiced against them, right? And so it is possible to recategorize people and bring them into the us. I was reading a blog the other day and this, this author who lives in New York, he said, I'll never forget the days after September 11th when I lived in New York City. New Yorkers of all races and creeds were united by the terrible events of the day. Everyone felt like a New Yorker. People opened doors for each other. They didn't worry about taxi arguments. They smiled at each other on the streets with zero regard to background. It's because on that day, us and them was redefined. I think that sporting events also are able to do that. I don't know how many of you are too young to possibly remember the 95 World Cup finals, right? I think on that day, when we won, the New York, the, the, the All Blacks, they were the them, right? And we all became us. We all became South Africans. We were all united. Didn't matter about your language or your gender or your race or your class. We were all South Africans. We redefined who was them and who was us. Even if it was just for a day. But it is possible to redefine. It's more malleable than we think. And I think we need to work hard to redefine us and them. And I think where it starts is we need to watch how we speak about people. We change how we speak. It will help us to change how we think and how we act. And then lastly, I want to encourage us to love with the heart of Christ. I mean, all of us, I think, need a regeneration of heart. And there's only one person who specializes in that, obviously. But James says in chapter 5, he says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You know what this passage speaks to? It speaks to confession. It speaks to praying for one another, praying for ourselves, praying for those who have prejudiced against us, praying for those who we are prejudiced against. It speaks about prayer. It speaks about accountability, walking this journey alongside other people. 
so that we can help each other in this. It speaks about a regeneration of our hearts. We need to love with the heart of Christ. We need to allow him to change our heart of stone in this, in this realm to become a heart of flesh. And to see people, like James has told us, to see people with the eyes of Jesus, to listen with the ears of Jesus, to speak with the mouth of Jesus, to love with the hands and feet of Jesus, and to love with the heart of Jesus. And so we are very, very much still on this journey together. This journey towards combating and overcoming our own prejudices. And all I want to invite you to do is persevere, to stay here. To, to be willing to stay in a place of discomfort. You know, sometimes when we feel uncomfortable, all we want to do is get back to that place of comfort. But if we move there too fast, it becomes like a false comfort. But rather to stay in this place of discomfort, allow yourself to still be in conversations and to still be challenged. What can I do? Well, we can love like Jesus. But along with that, it's very practical to journey. It's very practical to continue the conversation, to enter into relationships, to learn and to repent. So we want to invite you to do that. One other thing that you can do, we spoke about it last week, but I want to encourage you to sign up for the Sauborner bus. So the bus ministry is a WhatsApp-based group where it kind of provides accountability and teaching and, and tasks that you can do along the way. This bus will all be based around overcoming prejudice. And I want to encourage you to continue on. That will be with a small group of people, somewhere between 8 and 12 people, and to journey with them, to continue having these hard conversations, continue to challenge yourselves. And you, you'll see the Sauborne bus stop in the foyer, and you can sign up there, just write your name down, and we'll get in touch with you. You know, my kids are 5, 3, and 2 years old. 5, 3, and 2. So in the last year and a bit, they've really started to play nicely together. You know, play properly. They play proper games and there's, you know, they've got these beautiful imaginations that like collide all the time, mostly in great ways. Um, there's made up classrooms and castles and these quests and adventures they go on. And we're a big fan of the Kruger Park and often our children are out there in some kind of made up vehicle spotting animals that only their minds can see. And it's beautiful how they play together. They've also started to fight properly. Now I know none of your kids ever do this. But ours have started to fight, our three angels. Now the other day I sat down with them because I was, whew, sat down with them and I tried to have like a proper serious conversation. I tried to explain to them that I love all three of them equally. And because I love all three of them equally, I don't want anyone to be hurt and I actually don't want anyone to be in trouble. I don't want to shout at anyone. But sometimes someone has to be in trouble because they've made the other one hurt and because I love all of them equally. And they were all sorry, sorry, sorry. And I said to them, you know what? The best way that you can show that you love me is not to say sorry, but to love your brothers and sisters properly. The best way that you can show that you love me is to love these other two that God gave you properly. The other night we were at Life Group, and I found those exact same words come out my mouth in a completely different context. This isn't that the exact heart of our Father God? The best way that we can show how much we love him is to love our brothers and sisters who he gave to us properly. So I want to challenge us that we need to become a new kind of church like jean Ray spoke about last week. And that new kind of church needs to be filled with a new kind of people. A 
a new kind of people who act in a new kind of way and who love like Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, may we become a new kind of church. May we become a new kind of people. A people that have been transformed by you and are learning how to love like you. May we show our love for you, Father God, by loving our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.